Good evening. We were just discussing right before church started that everything was looking a little thin and then we realized the ladies class was in the back and then people started funneling in. We thought we was only gonna, kind of afraid we'd be the only ones up here. <laughs> oh, but first off, we'd like to say welcome to everybody here tonight. And I'm sure by now everybody knows uh, that our youth and some of our members have gone to Tri-State this evening. And as usual, it means Doug's gonna take that opportunity to spend time with our youth as they attend these events. And again, I know I say it each time, but I think it's important that we take the opportunity when we can to ensure that our young people know that we care about that, their activities, and we support them because they are important to us. They are our future. And I can't think of anything more important than that of our future. Also, we've got probably a couple gone. I know Steve was preaching at prior tonight. And uh, that's also important that we let know Steve that we let Steve know that we support him uh, wherever he is when he's preaching the Word of God. And when a congregation does invite Steve, it's because they desire to hear good scriptural preaching from the Word of God. And that's a good thing. So as we look around, it may be a little thin tonight, but that's, that's a good thing because we know it's good for a good reason. And we support our youth and the preaching of God's word where sound preaching is desired. So welcome. We're glad for the group that we do have here tonight. It's our desire that no matter the size of attendance, that we're all here to worship God and to have some great and wonderful fellowship with one another. Which brings me to my sermon tonight. When it comes to deciding on the type of sermon to preach on, there's mainly three different types. Those which are designed to edify or uplift, to educate or instruct. Uh, then there's, a, I kind of group those together. And then there's a type which are intended to convict or persuade the listener of their lost state. Then there's the uh, third type, again, to persuade the listener to convey or to persuade them into the point of view which we're trying to make. So tonight, uh, the sermon I've chosen is of the first type, and it's basically to educate on a subject that I feel of great importance, which you've heard me mention several times. Yeah, this is the subject I see more and more within our brotherhood. It also seems to be the subject of uh, various books that are being published and also being preached from our pulpits uh, within the last couple of years. That subject, and that's the decline of attendance within the church. This is a brotherhood-wide problem, and it's grown since the COVID pandemic. That didn't help anything. Nationwide, most congregations are seeing 20 to 30% average decline in attendance. But this problem existed prior to the COVID pandemic. A study done in 2020 
by a group called 21st Century Christian showed that the churches of Christ nationwide shrank in attendance by almost 6% from 2016 to 2019. Effectively, that translates to one in every 18 members disappeared from our congregations nationwide in just three years. Report, reports say that we will lose a quarter of our membership over the next 15 years if something's not done. Because of this report of declining membership, uh, it seems that there's been dozens of books and articles been written to address the issue. And it seems that each and every one of the authors all have their own opinions as to why the decline. And this is where the problem comes into view. Out of the books that I've read and articles written on the issue, each one offers his own personal opinion as to why and how to address the problem. The problem is, most are just that, personal opinions, and not looking to God's word for the solutions. But I wanted to take just a minute, I'm not saying I've got all the answers, but I wanted to take just time to present some statistics, statistics on what's been reported to be some of the major reasons for this decline. A study reported by the Columbia Daily Herald in 2016 reported that in the religious world nationwide that there is an average, now get this, 19,000 major church issues reported each year. Now I understand that's kind of a hard statistic to come up with because most aren't going to be reported and this encompasses religion, religious-wide, not just the Churches of Christ. But 19,000 issues that are reported as major issues each year nationwide. And that comes from 2016, a study done in 2016. Sadly, some of these issues result in church splits, and people going other places. That report doesn't break it down by church or denomination, but lumped the entire religious world together within the United States. So what are the issues that cause this decline within the brotherhood? What's happening to cause this decline in our attendance? Well, first, first issue that gets reported is how basically how we treat each other. The Bible tells us the church is a sanctified bride of Christ, and at times we lose sight of that fact. At times we become only focused on our own personal issues and forget that it takes all of us to make up the church. The church is made up of many parts, working together to make up the body of Christ. But we sometimes forget we're human, we're imperfect, we're just imperfect people. And as a result, we're flawed. Sometimes we can be irresponsible in our actions. Or even at times, we can be unaware of how our actions can affect our brother or sister. 
As a result, conflict and disagreement arise. And we forget the most important part that we're to love one another. John 13, 34 says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Ephesians 4.2 says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance, showing tolerance for one another in love. One of my favorites, 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but, with, but in deed and truth. You know, Scripture has so much to say on the subject of love and our love we're to have for one another. But at times it's easy to get wrapped up in the issues in this world. And we forget how our actions might affect our brother or sister. Now, I love the fact that here at Shoto, the Shoto Church has so much love for one another, it just shows and our visitors express that. It's a beautiful trait that we need to strive to grow and to show each other and to show the world. Brings me to my second major reason as for possible decline within the church. And that is evangelism. I do want to say each, each one of these probably deserves a sermon in and of itself, but I don't think anybody wants to be here till midnight. So I've condensed all this together, so I, it does go through it rather quickly. But a study was done by LifeWay Research again in 2016 that showed most Christians were reluctant to share their faith. According to this survey of Christian respondents, 80% of the respondents know they are called to evangelize. But 61% admitted that they hadn't had a single spiritual conversation with anyone within the last six months. 61% said that the respondents said they hadn't had a single spiritual conversation with anyone within the last six months. And again, this is nationwide. Anybody responded as, as Christian. So it was a rather large group encompassed a large group. I realize it's just basic. Some of us are better at this than others. Some of us just really find it a hard time to talk to others. But not, and not everybody has the ability to go knock doors. And that's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're saying. 
But like Doug's sermon this morning, each and every one of us, we can use our daily lives as an example to the world that we are Christians. Matthew 5.14 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Also in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but just a couple of points that need to be made. The only way to spread the word is for somebody to preach it. Think about that. I mean, that sounds so basic and almost silly to say. But the only way to spread the word of God is for somebody to preach it. Romans ten seventeen says, So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Plus, we're commanded to evangelize. Matthew 28, 19, 19 through 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And one thing I want to point out about evangelism, you know, Mark 16, 15, it's a popular verse. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I've discussed this with people many times. And it almost, again, sounds silly, but does any part of that command to go and preach, does any part of that require us to spend money? Does any part of that put a, a financial burden on any of us? It requires action. I'm not saying we don't support evangelistic groups. Truth for today, others like that. That's, that's Again, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying us individually. There is no, you know, people think that there's this big requirement when it comes to evangelism. But it doesn't cost us a dime. All it costs us is effort. Time and effort. Are we willing to put in time and effort to spread the word of God? And it only we're not talking we have to go and do a full sermon. 
this is just open up our conversations to a religion, to a religious topic. Slowly bring that around. No, you can't, you can't convert anybody in one sitting. And that's, again, not what we're saying. All we do, all we're asking, are we living our lives in a way that the world knows, not just by sight, but by actions and our speech? Does the world know that we're Christians? If we're not speaking about religion, then how does the world know that we are Christians? I understand how busy life can be. Kids, work, time change, we lose an hour, we gain an hour, back and forth. We got to get supper ready, the laundry's got to get done. I understand that. And I'm not saying we need to skip anything. My point being is our daily activities, as we normally do right now, are we bringing religion into that? Are we showing that we're Christians? I'm just asking. When I do, I'm asking myself because I've said before, when I write these, it's about issues that I feel passionate about that usually affect me. But we need to consider just how little effort that it really does take for us to bring religion into, into our daily lives and into our daily conversations with people. Remember, it doesn't cost a dime, but it will take a little bit of effort and a little bit of time. You know, these were just two of what I feel are the major issues that seem to be brought, being brought forward when it comes to addressing dwindling attendance within the church, within the brotherhood. But what's the answer? How do we address these issues? I guess after reading different books and different authors and hearing different sermons and mainly hearing a bunch of people's opinions, I started asking, is there a biblical example to the problem? And if so, what is it? If you could, turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. You know, the old joke, which I've always heard since I was a kid, the minute I preach on Revelation, for some reason you get kicked out, that's it. It's, it can be the kiss of death. <laughs> but it's because people don't understand it. But this is pretty easy to understand. Excuse me. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hands, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, 
your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Verse 4, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give, eat, give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I go through all that to go back to verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. So my question tonight simply is, have we lost our first love? I mean, could this be the root of the problem? And again, I'm not necessarily addressing tonight, Shoto, but the problem being brotherhood-wide. But I think it's lessons we can learn from. But that question, have we lost our first love? That brings that next question, what is our first love? Our first love is our love for Christ and the love Christ gives us for God and for each other. That he so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to die upon that cross for our sins. I think one scripture sums up an answer, the answer, or an answer to what our first love is, and that's Ephesians 4.15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. I mean, this along with the commandment of love in John 13.34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. John 13, 34. Let's read that again. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That's powerful. That cuts to the heart. Which 
brings me to another question. I thought long and hard, how do you sum this up? How do you put that first love to a good explanation? And we can give scripture over and over, but how do we, yeah, how do we communicate that to people, to each other? How do we define that, our first love? It's a feeling. Do you remember when you were first baptized? For some, that might have been a long time ago. For some, it might only have been a few years ago. But try to think back as to that feeling that you had when you first came up out of that water, knowing that your sins had been forgiven, your sins had been washed away, and you'd been given life anew. Again, for some, that, that might be years, might have been years ago. I know for me, I was trying to think back. I'd probably been 45 years ago. I'm not that old. But I was thinking about this the other night, thinking about this sermon. And I, I just kept trying to think and try to remember what was I thinking when I, when right after I was baptized? What was that feeling like? I, I kind of pondered on that for a few days. And, and slowly, that feeling started to make sense, started kind of to come back. And that's what I'm talking about when I talk about our first love. You know, that feeling we had of being saved and wanting to share that, share that love, share that message with the world. I mean, what a fantastic feeling. What if we could bottle that feeling? Then when we're feeling down, just take a drink and be reminded instantly of that feeling. Or what if we could take that, bottle it, and put it into a sprayer? And then every Sunday when we came through the door, everybody just got a good healthy dose to remind them of that feeling of first being saved. Or why not put it into the AC heat and air system so it's pumped throughout the building every Sunday so that whenever you came into the auditorium, you would be reminded instantly of that feeling, that feeling that we, we had when we were first saved, that when we were first baptized. Wouldn't that be great? I think it'd be a fantastic idea. But you know, there's a spoiler in there. It's already kind of that way. You know, when we come together each Sunday, we partake of the Lord's Supper. As we're commanded to do, 
Aren't we to remember that sacrifice that Christ made for us on that cross? I mean, isn't that the same thing? Shouldn't we strive to get that same feeling back when we partake of the Lord's Supper? Do we put enough effort into it? Or do we just go through the motions? Again, I'm asking myself as much as I'm asking anything else. You know, maybe that's why Christ commanded us to do this on the first day of the week. So that we could get a healthy dose of that every Sunday morning. Then when it came in. And then it occurred to me. Maybe that's the solution to the problem. Maybe that's where our problems are rooted. That we need to remember Christ and the sacrifice that he made for us. Every Sunday when we come and partake of the Lord's Supper. Maybe we need to put a little more effort into that. Or maybe the answer is the church. Christ's church. You know, I've always thought, and this is going to sound a little funny at first, that the, I always thought the first century Christians, that they understood the meaning of the word church so much better than we do today. And when I say that word church, I mean the word ekklesia. We all know that's the Greek word used for church. The called out. But I sometimes think that we miss the point a little bit. The first use of that word, ekklesia, in the Bible is in Matthew 16, 18. Which says, and I also say that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Here Jesus is telling Peter that upon that firm foundation, firm foundation of that statement he had just made. That he is the Christ, the son of the living God. That upon that faith, upon that firm foundation, he was going to call his people out. So upon that rock, I will call my people out. It was a play on words, if you look at the Greek. Petra and Petros. Now, follow me for just a second. To us, we understand ecclesia to mean the people. If we go out into the world and we start asking they probably say it's a building. They don't understand that the church is the people. But the Jews, at the time, they had the temple. Before Christ was crucified, throughout the Old Testament, under old law, they had the temple. And in that temple was the Holy of Holies place. 
where God was. Where only the high priest could go. And only at certain times. But to the Jews, clear back even with, with David, they understood that that was where God was. Now Jesus, he's telling them with a word that had no religious meaning at the time. It, ecclesia was first used in a religious term there in Matthew 16, 18. Before that, it was just a normal, normal term. But now Jesus, he's using that word because the Jews understand that word. Being a set-apart group, a called out, a special group. He's telling them that the temple, after his crucifixion and resurrection and his ascension into heaven, that temple was no more. gone that it's being replaced with his church his ecclesia his called out people now first century Christians understood that instead of God being in that temple only accessible by that high priest only at certain times that now God was in his church. That God was in his called out people. That God was within them as Christians. That God was now within their hearts. That through Christ, we are now children of God. Put those together and think how powerful that statement is. Thinking and understanding that now, instead of God being only in that temple, only in that holiest of holy place, only accessible by a high priest under certain conditions, certain times, that now His called out people are His church. That his called out people make up the body of Christ. That now we can be that we are as Christians children of God. I think it's one of the most powerful statements we can make. So what being the root problem or the solution to dwindling attendance. Our love for Christ. Whether it's evangelism. Love for one another. Being able to deal with each other. Always remember it takes two to have a disagreement. It takes two to have an offense. It takes two to solve the problem. Sometimes three or four. But it takes all of us as a church because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, that's, that's, to borrow a term, that's a heavy statement that means so much.
means so much for our salvation. If we put that love that we have for our fellow man and knowing the fear of the Lord, therefore we persuade men. That works both ways. I always kind of split that up. Knowing the terror that faces somebody in the judgment, we persuade men because we don't want to see them lost. Knowing the terror of the Lord because we don't fulfill our commitments and our commandments that we're to evangelize, that we're supposed to be Christians, that we're supposed to show it in our speech and our actions and in our life. That's what we're asking. I think that goes a long way when we talk about problems within the church. Love. Love for one another. Love for Christ. That love that we have in our hearts because we now make up the body of Christ. We are now Christ's church, His ecclesia, His called out. And he resides in us and us within him, with him. You know, and we do this in closing. We always want to extend an invitation to anybody that has needs of prayers of the church or has made that decision to be baptized. We always want to make sure that you understand that's that's always available because we feel that it's that important. But that each and every time we come together, we, will, we want to extend that opportunity, that, that invitation. And we extend that now as we come and sing.